Welcome to the Christian Ministries Church Podcast. My name is Josh Barnett. I'm one of the pastors on staff here. We're praying that this message equips and empowers you to live in the kingdom of God. Okay, so tonight my title is Spirit and Truth, and I'm, I'm calling this Worldview Wednesday. I don't know if it's going to—I don't know if I'm starting a series right now, Tim, where we do Worldview Wednesdays. But I—but uh, I, I want to talk about the Christian worldview, and and in this lecture specifically about Christian worldview is called Spirit and Truth. And um, as believers, like we talk about. You, you may hear that kind of a buzzword, a, a Christian worldview or a biblical worldview. And what I want to look at tonight through this lecture, lecture is what is a biblically defined man? What is a biblically defined woman? What is our greatest calling? You, the, the worldview questions answer the big questions of life like, who is God? How do I relate to him? Does he have a plan and a purpose for my life? Who am I? Why am I here? And so in this lecture, I want to answer um, some of these things. So we'll see if this, okay, here we go, it works. Um, A.W. Tozer said, what comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you because what you think about God will oftentimes determine what you think about yourself. And so how do you see God? What do you think about him? What do you believe uh, about him? And, and I, I want to let, as I, I throw this quote up there, is that everybody in this room, you are a theologian. You're a theologian because you have beliefs about God. You have things in your mind and your heart that you believe about God, so you all have a theology. You all have a belief about the Lord. We're all theologians, and, and our beliefs affect every single thing about us, and so that's why it's so important to address Christian worldview. What you believe about God is the most important thing about you, and I want to look at, uh, fr from this verse here, what, who is God, what has he called us to do? <clears throat> in John chapter 4, Verses 23 through 24, Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, and he says, Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And so what we see in the scripture is that the Father is looking for worshipers. A.W. Tozer also said that the, he says the biblically defined man is a worshiper of God. The, the Westminster Catechism, a way that they used to teach young people and college students about the beliefs of Christianity, the very first question is, what is the chief end of man? What is the chief end of man? What is the ultimate purpose of mankind? And the answer is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. And so everybody in this room needs to know, you were created to be a worshiper. And if your worship is not directed at God, it is so in your DNA to be a worshiper that you are worshiping something else. How do you, and, and honestly, how can you see what you're worshiping? Where does your T-I-M-E go? Where does your time go? And another thing is, where does your money go? Where does your time and your resources go? And oftentimes that will show you what you're worshiping. And so are you, you, you're worshiping yourself, you're worshiping your job, you're worshiping your kids, you're worshiping something. We're all worshiping something, but we were designed to worship God. Well, how, what does that look like? And that's what Jesus was trying to define here to this woman is true worshipers. They worship in spirit and they worship in truth. And so what does that mean tonight? And we're going to look and talk about what that means. True worship must be in spirit. In spirit, that is engaging the whole heart. Be, unless there is a real passion for the Lord, there is no worship in spirit. I, I have brought in, been brought into right relationship with him. And in right relationship with him, I get to encounter him. And I get to experience him as a real person. And at the same time, worship must be in truth. 
What does that mean? That, that means your worship must be properly informed. You don't get to define who Jesus is. He defines who he is. We don't get to, say, we don't get to worship God how we want to. We have to ask him, God, how do you want to be worshiped? How do you want to be worshiped? Both are necessary. Spirit and truth are necessary for God honoring worship. Let's look at this quote here. Spirit without truth leads to a shallow, overly emotional experience that could be compared to a high. As soon as the emotion is over, when the fever cools, the worship ends. And truth without spirit can result in a dry, passionless encounter that can easily lead to a form of joyless legalism. Isn't that powerful? And so that's why spirit and truth are necessary because it brings the emotion and the feeling and the experience and the encounter in with who God really is. <clears throat> both are necessary. Um, the combination of both of these aspects of worship results in a joyous appreciation of God that is informed by Scripture. The more we know about God, the more we appreciate Him. The more we appreciate Him, the deeper our worship. The deeper our worship, the more that he is glorified. I love what Jonathan Edwards, the 18th century American pastor and theologian, he said, he said this, I should think myself in a way of my duty, as he's preaching, is to raise the affections, the emotions of my hearers as high as I possibly can, provided that they are affected with nothing but truth. When they are affected with nothing but truth. Do you know what myself, Pastor Tim, Pastor Paul, do you know what usually gets the most amens and hand claps while we're preaching? Scripture. The reading of verses. Why? Because it's God's word and it cuts through joint and marrow. It goes straight to the heart. It is God's word. It is his voice. And even when it's being used by a vessel like me or Pastor Tim or Pastor Paul, as it's going forth, it does something on the inside of you. And so I love that. My duty is to raise the affections, the emotions of my hearers. I think about Romans chapter five, when, when, when Paul is saying, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is truth that raises an emotional response on the inside of you. That's an incredible thing. I love that. Edwards recognized that truth and only truth can properly influence the emotions in a way that brings honor to God. The truth of God being of infinite value the wor is worthy of infinite passion. So, in order to live properly as a Christian, we must properly worship God with our lives in spirit and in truth. Let's move on here. And so how, do we, how are we properly informed? Let's look at the way that we actually um, uh, through scripture, what we, uh, how we're informed, how, what is the truth of God. John 14, six through nine says, Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you know me, you will, you will know my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus said to him, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and you still do not know me? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. And this is a key thing that Jesus was teaching here when he says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to God except through me. No one comes to the Father except through me. And so like, we've got to know tonight, there's not many ways to God. There's one way. There's one way. And, and I know many, sometimes, oftentimes we get into this teaching and we think like, oh yeah, like I, I know that. Less than 10% of Christians in America today have a biblical worldview. 
And this is foundational to biblical worldview. And so like, we have to know these things. I actually saw a stat the other day that, so, that showed that 88% of youth pastors don't have a biblical worldview. That's wild. And so like, we've, we've got to know these things. So when Jesus says, I am the way, there's not many ways, there's one way. When he says, I am the truth, there's not many truths, there's one truth. When he says, I am the life, there's not many lives, there's one life. He is the way to the Father, the truth about the Father, and life with the Father. That is what Jesus is. Let's look at John chapter 1, what he said. If it'll go. Just got to hold it just right. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word, <laughs> and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life and the life was the light of mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Why does John call Jesus the Word? It's because Jesus is everything that God wants to say about himself. By what he said, by the life that he lived, he was showing us what God looked like. I even think about on the mountain of transfiguration, when Moses and Elijah showed up, you've got the man who represents the law and you've got the man who represents the prophet and they show up to show Peter, James, and John, we were talking about him. And when the father says, this is my dearly loved son with whom I'm well pleased, he, he tells Peter, listen to him. Listen to him. Listen to his words. Listen to what he is saying. And so as we talk about how do we worship in spirit and how do we worship in truth, we've got to know that, that Jesus, it calls him the word, but many people, they try to separate the word from his words. And you can't separate the word from his words. Would you like someone to project onto you and define who you are and tell you who you're going to be and what you like to do and the hobbies that you have to have and the way that you have to think? No. You would refuse to let that happen. But many times, many believers try to do that to Jesus. They try to tell him who he is. And if anybody has the right to be self-defined, it's God. It's God. We cannot separate the word from his words. In relationship, people self-define themselves. And in culture, it's like everybody is allowed to do that except God. But he's the one who has the most authority to do it. We cannot separate the man from his message. We cannot separate the man from his message, even the ones in the Old Testament you don't like. They're him. They're him. In Matthew 24, 35, he said his words will never pass away. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, it says all scripture, all scripture, and specifically when Paul was writing this, he was talking about the Old Testament because the New Testament was, he was writing the New Testament, but it was prophetically also including the New Testament. All scripture is God breathed and useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. May be thoroughly equipped for every good work. And it, like it, it's important to know how much God loves you and he loves you so much, and he loves you right where you're at, but he loves you too much to leave you there. He loves you right where you're at, but he loves you too much to leave you there. And so when, when you come to him, there's going to be teaching and rebuking and correcting and training and righteousness, but the mature believer says, yes, Lord, sharpen me, make me like you, because I want to worship you 
how you want to be worshipped. I want to worship you in truth. <clears throat> oh, skip ahead. Um, many people look at Scripture and they open their Bibles and they, they read a verse and they, they think thoughts of like, what does this mean to me today? And that is the wrong thought to have. It's not what does Scripture mean to me. What's right is what does Scripture mean? Period. What we're, because another great thing is what we got to know is that the Bible was written for us, but it wasn't written to us. It was written to a specific audience at a specific time in a specific context. And there is truth in there that we apply to ourselves. But we've got to understand, like, the authors had an original audience that they were writing to. And it's written for us, but it's not written to us. And so you, you don't open the Bible and read yourself into the text. It's what does Scripture actually mean? What was Paul meaning to say when he put pen to pad? What was the Holy Spirit speaking through him when he put pen to pad? Not, do I, what, what do I want it to mean? What is the original meaning? I want to talk about this real quick. <laughs> Hot topic. Uh, relationship and religion. It, the, 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 the catchy phrase that's been in our culture, gosh, probably for 15, 20 years now, is like, it's not a religion, brother, it's just a relationship. I hate religion, but I love Jesus. And it's like, you don't even know what you're saying. You really don't. I get the heart behind some of that, some of the motive behind some of that, because I do believe that we see in the Pharisees and the Sadducees, we see in some of that, we see the spirit of religion, and you can still see a lot of the spirit of religion at work today. But I, I love the religion of Christianity. Got quiet. I love the religion of Christianity, because all religion is is a way of life. That's what it is. And we are in a religion that is founded on a relationship. I have a relationship with Jesus. But we also have to be aware that God is after a lot more than relationship with you. He's after ownership. The New Testament calls Jesus Lord a lot more times than it calls him Savior. It calls him Lord over 600 times and Savior about 25. He's Lord, he's King, he's in charge. It is a religion that is built on a relationship. And I think... I think a major problem that we see in the church today is many use the phrase that Christianity, Christianity is just a relationship as an excuse to be disobedient to Christ. Many use relationship over religion just so they have an excuse to live disobedient to him. A lot of the, they, we use moral ambiguity, no moral standards, no black and white, no plain teaching on what sin is and what, and what it's not. <clears throat> But we do not have a relationship with God. Listen to me, church. We do not have a relationship with God if we do not do what he says. If we don't do what he says. There's no relationship there. Because even our love for God, and we're going to see some verses here in a second, even our love for God is based on obedience. By obeying, we love him. And by loving him, we obey him. And many times it's the battle of the will where we choose our selfish will or we choose God's holy will. Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21 says, Together we are his house, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. We are built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, and the cornerstone which is Christ. What, what he's talking about there is their teaching what they said, how he told us to live, that's how we build our 
life. Many people say this, you just need to encounter Jesus. And I've said this before too. It's like, you, need, you just need to encounter Jesus. You do need to encounter Jesus. I agree with that. You need to encounter Jesus, but it's an incomplete thought to stop there because you have to encounter Jesus through what he says. You have to encounter him through what he says. I, and, 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 I would, and, and I would just caution you, if you're having encounters with something that you believe is the Lord, but you are not obeying his commandments, it may not be the Lord that you're encountering. We live in a world that has, there's supernatural here. There are, the, the devil presents himself as an angel of light. And so you've got, and I'll just give you an example. You've got one of the most popular podcaster on the planet right now, Joe Rogan. He talks about going out into the desert and taking drugs and tripping and seeing three beings of light that tell him how, much, how loved he is. And how amazing he is. He's having an encounter with something. But it ain't God. It's a demon. It's the devil. Like we live in a supernatural world. And if you are having an encounter with something that is not based upon Scripture and your relationship with him, it may not be Jesus. It may not be Jesus. You need an encounter with who he says that he is. We know him by what he said. And Jesus, it just, we get so caught up in the emotion and the experience and, you know, you're loved and let's, you know, we'll tiptoe through the daisies with him and all that. But like he actually puts demands on us. He actually commands us to do things. He commands us to obey him. The Great Commission came and told disciples, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you and be sure of this. I'm with you always, even in the end of the age, but we don't, we, we miss that part. Sometimes teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given to you here, Matthew 22 teacher. What's the greatest commandment? He said, you shall love the Lord, your God with all your heart, soul, and mind. This is the greatest and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. And so Jesus commanded us to do many, many things and to put a demand on us. And, and on, like if we do those two things right there, those, all the Ten Commandments are found in those two things right there. And if we do those things, we are obeying him. James makes it very clear. It's like faith and works are tied together. And if there is not a, if there is not a change a transformation, a sanctification that is happening in your life, I do not say that you can call yourself a Christian. You cannot call yourself, Christian means little Christ. And if you're not actively living in relationship with him and obeying him, you're not a believer. When you put your faith in him, you begin to walk with him and you begin to do what he tells you to do. I love this quote by Gabriel Finocchio. He says, the lordship of Christ is the basis of our relationship with Christ. The truth is, is that Christianity is a religion of relationship. It is a relationship based upon obedience because it is based upon lordship. I preached a Wednesday night sermon not too long ago. We were talking about the names of God. And one of the names of God that I've got uh, was Adonai. And I began to talk about Paul, when Paul greeted people with his, in his letters, he didn't say, greetings, I am the beloved of the Father. I am the, I am the bride of Christ. All those things are true, and we are those things. But when Paul greeted people in his letters, he said, I, Paul, the slave, the bondservant 
of Christ. Because lordship took precedence over everything else. <laughs> so there is a way that we can worship outside of spirit and truth. Um, oh, uh, John 14, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I'll ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to be with you forever. This is the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it is neither sees him nor knows him. You know him because he abides with you, and he will be in you. And this is the same guy that went on to say in 1 John, is like, if you continue in your sin, you're not a son of God, you're a son of the devil. I didn't say it, but I'm not also going to apologize for it, because I believe it. I loved this book, because I love God. And I'm not going to apologize for what he said. This church will never apologize for the law of God. We will always just affirm exactly what it says because he is God. He is Lord. He is the designer of life. And we have to submit to what he says. <clears throat> this is busy right here, I know. And, and usually I break it down a little bit more uh, for our high point campers. But just for sake of time, I put it all on one screen. So, you, fall, so like false worship, you're not truly worshiping God if you're leaving out parts of his word. If you're changing what he says. You also can be in ignorant worship, not knowing what he says, not reading his word. Many people can quote lots of, uh, 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 lots of statistics to me about uh, sports, and few people can quote the words of God. And so, like, what, ta what takes priority? Do we know this? Do we know his word? And uh, uh, in, 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 in then true worship in spirit, it's engaging, that we talked about this, engaging the whole heart, it's passionate, it's engaging the mind, it's rightly dividing the word, it's worship, worshiping him for who he really is. In Romans 10, Paul says, for I can testify about them, he's talking about the Jews, but he says, I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge. Since they did not know the righteousness of God and sought to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. And buddy, he's talking about the Judaizers, but man, you could apply this to our culture today. Is they've got lots of zeal with little knowledge. We've got lots of, and zeal's not bad. He actually says, you know, I commend them for their zealousness, but it's not based on knowledge. Like, we have got to be zealous for God, but it's got to be based on what he actually says in his word. Based on what he actually says. He appreciates their passion, but it's not according to knowledge. And zeal without knowledge is dangerous. Zeal without knowledge is dangerous. Zeal is not a bad thing. We should have great zeal and great passion for the Lord, but it has to be paired with knowing Jesus, with knowing about him. And, and, and everybody under 40, 45 in the room, worship is awesome and worship is important, but so is this part right here. So is this part right here. We have to fall in love with the teaching of the word. We have to fall in love with scripture. And many times, and, and, and the, um, listen, the emotional experience, the feeling that we get in worship and all that, that's all from God. That's all an incredible thing. But you also have to see the teaching of the word is also worship. It's also, it's also where everything that we're doing here tonight is also worship. Even as we fellowship and we hang out with one another and we're doing that as believers coming together, that's also a form of worship. And so like we've got to see that good theology is important. Knowing our Bible is important. We've got to grow in our knowledge of scripture because when we grow in our knowledge of scripture, we grow in our knowledge of who God is. Next slide here. I love this. If your relationship is void of experience, you may be worshiping doctrine. But if your relationship is void of doctrine, you may be worshiping an idol. 
Both are good. We need the experience, but we need the doctrine, and they should reinforce each other. So like when I'm in worship and I'm experiencing him and like I'm encountering him and I'm like all the warm and fuzzies and the butterflies and everything's like going off. What that should do is that should cause me to come to this. I was talking to somebody the other day is that many people, they, they almost get addicted to these altar moments where they come and they cry because in God's presence, they are sorrowful for their sin, which is a good thing. But then they walk out of those doors and as the sorrow fades, they go back to their sin. But what the altar moment is meant to produce is that you would leave here and not just have cried tears because you felt bad for it, but you would leave here and you would repent and you would change. And, and listen, if you leave here and you repent and you change, you'll still have altar moments and you'll still have tears, but they won't be full of sorrow, they'll be full of joy. Woo, okay, all right, <laughs> let's move on. <clears throat> okay, so. With this in mind, I want to look at these next two uh, uh, passages of Scripture here. If it's void of experience, you may be worshiping doctrine. If it's void of doctrine, you may be worshiping an idol. Let's look at this. In John 5, Jesus is talking to the Pharisees, and he says, You study the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. But the, I love the, the King James says, These are they that point to me. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. And so like knowing this is important, but I don't bow down and worship this book. But I read this book in relationship with him, not like it's the paper. But many believers, we can get caught up in a legalistic, self-righteous mindset where we just want to know as much of this as we can, and we want to know about him. Because I, in my personality, I like to be right. I'm a lot like Tim in that aspect. Like, I like to be right. And I usually think I am right. And I usually invite people to open debate and I just let them know you're probably going to lose because I'm usually right. But, I, but, but I, can get, I myself can get caught up with wanting to know this because I'm a Bible nerd and reading it absent of relationship with God. And that's what Jesus is saying. is like you're searching these things and you think that this book right here, these scriptures are going to give you life, but they point to me. And so as I'm reading this, I'm going, wow, God, you're amazing. This is pointing to you. This is leading me in relationship with you. Okay. <clears throat> So if it's void of experience, if it's void of encounter, if it's void of relationship, you might be worshiping a book. But there's another danger here. In Exodus 32, when they made the golden calf while Moses was up on the mountain, the, he takes, Aaron takes all their gold and he makes a golden calf. He, and, and when it comes out, it, it, most translations say, this is your God that brought you out of Egypt. But if you look in the Hebrew, that word God right there, Aaron says, this is Jehovah that brought you out of Egypt. This is Yahweh, guys, that freed you. And this is what a lot of people do with Jesus. Is they treat him like a golden calf and they fashion him in their own image. And they think that they're doing, that Hebrews thought, we're doing a good thing. We're worshiping Jehovah. We're worshiping Yahweh. But they were worshiping him the way they wanted to worship or the way that they saw the Egyptians worshiping their gods back in Egypt. And, they, and so many times we try to do things the way that culture does them, and we change what God says because it might offend people. And we begin to fashion a God in our own image, and that's idolatry. That's idolatry. <clears throat> we begin to 
take out things that he says because what was Moses coming back down with? Moses was coming back down with the law. He was coming back down with the word of God. He was coming back down with God defining how he wanted to be worshiped. But they took it into their own hands and they fashioned a golden calf and began to worship it and call it God. I see churches do this around men that stand behind the pulpit. And I see, I see a lot of millennials and Gen Z, they do this around worship movements or worship yep. bands. And many people worship worship. They worship worship. They, cut, they get a goosebump and they get a feeling because God created those things. It's totally fine that we get those in worship. But like, you know, we can go to the Celine Dion concert and you can get the same goosebump when she hits that high note. And so they come in here and they worship the feeling that they got and they think they're actually worshiping the Lord. Many times in the Old Testament, I think about Isaiah chapter one, they thought they were worshiping God and God has Isaiah go and tell, go tell them, I hate your worship services. Hey, he says, because you're basically because they were neglecting the greater thing because they were coming in and they were doing their sacrifices and they were going through the ritual. But when they left that place, they were living like the world. They were neglecting the poor. They were neglecting the widow. They were doing all these things. And God, how, of a, how much of a statement would that be if God came down and said, all this stuff you got going on, I hate it because it's not really about me. It's about the way that it makes you feel. Woo! Is that not the case oftentimes in churches today? And we've got to be sure that our hearts don't get there as well. <clears throat> so if it's absent of doctrine or if it's absent of experience, you might be worshiping doctrine. If it's absent of doctrine, you may be worshiping an idol. Let's move on. I'm short on time. I'm getting close to the end, though. Here we go. Ephesians, I love this. Ephesians 1.7. I keep asking, I'm praying, Paul says, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. See, we're supposed to grow in, how much, in what we know about him and how much we know him. Knowing about him should reinforce knowing him and knowing him should reinforce what we, what we seek to know about him. It's, this, it's the same way in marriage with, with Sarah and I. It's like, I want to know what moves her heart. I want to continually dig and find out about who she is. And it's the same way with the Lord. It's like, Lord, what moves you? I want to know you. I want to seek this out. And, it's this, and, it, and, 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 and then in the revelation of, 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 of knowing more about him, it causes me to want to move closer and know more. And, and it's just a big circle. It's a big cycle that just builds off one another. Like, may we grow in the knowledge May my knowledge reinforce my relationship with him and may my relationship reinforce my seeking out of knowledge of who he is. Not knowledge in what the world says. Knowledge in what the word says. This is an incredible thing, church. This right here is a miracle. This right here is a miracle. Oftentimes we, we think so highly of our own opinions. We do. Instead of going to see what, like, what does the word of God say about this situation? What does God say about marriage? What does God say about my kids? What does God say about my job or my career? What does God say about my money? What does God say about my resources? What does God say about my friendships? What does God say instead of going, like, what, is, what does he say about it in his word? Like, we've got to revere this book. We've got to know this book. We've got to know that God is trying to speak to us through this book. Um, <clears throat> a couple of examples here as, as we wrap up. In, um, in John chapter 3, Jesus meets with Nicodemus. And Nicodemus is like, we know that you're from God. We know that you're from God because you wouldn't be able to do the signs. And Nicodemus is getting into this, how, how can a man be born again? How can we inherit eternal life? How can we do these things? And Nicodemus is coming to Jesus because like, he wants Jesus to do something for him. But I love what the verse I read to you at the beginning. 
the Samaritan woman, when the Samaritan woman recognizes that he's from God, her response is, how does God want me to worship him? That's incredible to me, is that her revelation is, how does God want me to worship him? Because these people say here, and these people say here, and his response is, the Father is looking for worshipers who worship in the spirit of his truth. And he said, the time is coming and is now, because I think he saw in this woman's eyes that she wants to worship me. And Jesus doesn't reveal himself to Nicodemus. He talks in the third person the whole time to Nicodemus. But to the woman who says, how does God want me to worship him? He says, I am the Messiah. That's amazing to me. Is that our heart cries, that, that we don't come in here to try to get something from the Lord, but we come in here because we want to worship him and in spirit. We want to worship him in spirit and in truth. I love that she asked the theology question. I love that she asked the doctrine question. I love that she was seeking it out. Nicodemus was like, we see you doing these things. How do you do it? How can we do it, basically, is like kind of his heart posture there. And she says, you must be from God. How does God want me to worship him? I love that posture that she has there. I love that. And that she goes to him, that she's asking him and she's talking to him. And, and so in spirit and in truth, we're supposed to worship in, like in worship and in living, in experience and obedience. Um, and closing today, talking about scripture, talking about truth, talking about knowing him. Um, does, did God really say is, all, is the first temptation? It always starts with questioning the words of God. It always starts with questioning the words of God. When the devil shows up in the garden with Eve, his first words, the devil's first words in scriptures is, did God really say? Did what God really say? When he shows up to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, his first words are, if you are the son of God. What's he doing? He's trying to get Jesus to question what his father had just spoken about him at the baptism when he said, this is my beloved son. And the devil says, if you are the son of God. So the great temptation is always for us to question this. Always to question this. Did God really say? You don't really believe that, right? That's a bunch of old, bunch of, a bunch of old stuff from a long time ago, 2,000 years ago. You don't really believe that, do you? Church, just because something is old doesn't mean it's irrelevant. C.S. Lewis calls that chronological snobbery. That we believe that we know more than the ones who lived 2,000 years ago. So I believe I can know more about Jesus than John the Beloved. Are you kidding me? That's wild that people have those thoughts. But he tries to get us to question these things. And you don't, really be, you don't really believe that God said that. You don't really be, believe that he did that. And that's where the temptation lies. He's, he he's always starts with doubting and questioning of God's word. And I love, obviously, Jesus responded with God's word. He responded with that. The, the first temptation is not to eat the fruit, but to question what God said. Last thing here. Thomas and John 14, 4, he asked Jesus, how can we know the way? How can we know the way? How can we know what we're supposed to do? How can we know we're supposed to go? I, I, we, we, he, he tells Jesus, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? I love that Thomas, it, just a simple thing for us here is that he went to the source. He went to the word of God to hear the words of God. He went to the source and asked. He didn't ask the world. He didn't ask the disciples. He didn't ask his friends. He went to Jesus because he, he just heard what Jesus said, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. In John chapter 10, obviously the, the, the famous one that we know, John 10, 10, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. 
The whole context of that scripture there is when he says the thief comes to kill, kill, and destroy, Jesus is talking about false teachers. Because he's talking about, they, my sheep will know my voice. So he's talking about the devil's going to get in by getting you to question what's the real voice. And the devil, what did he do in the garden? By getting them to question God's voice, by getting them to question God's command, he stole, he killed, he destroyed. And that's still what he's doing today. And Jesus is saying, I have come to give you life and give it to you more abundantly. But to get life and to get it more abundantly, we have to listen to what he says. We have to listen to his voice, his words. And so it's important for us to know tonight, it's like we don't just believe in Jesus. We believe Jesus. We don't just believe in him. We believe him. We believe what he says. And we believe what he says and we walk that out, we live a life that is worshiping in spirit and in truth. Did y'all get something out of this? Y'all stand with me tonight. This, can, this concludes Worldview Wednesday. It was fun. We'll have to do it again sometime. God, we thank you so much for tonight. We thank you so much for your word. God, we thank you so much that we don't have to like look and find and try to figure out the way that we're supposed to live or what we're supposed to do. Lord, you gave us an, inc an incredible, amazing, you authored a book for us, God, that teaches us how to live. How blessed are we, Lord, that we have a book from you, from the word of God, from the mouth of God, that we have a design. You, you, you didn't just create us and leave us. You designed an amazing, abundant life that we can live within your boundaries and within your law. God, may we not see them as restrictive, but let us see them as permissive. God, they're, that they, 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 cause us to enter into life and life abundant. God, you're not trying to rob us of anything. You're not withholding anything from us. You're actually inviting us through your word, through your scripture, through your law, through your commandments. You're actually inviting us into an incredible life that is founded on a relationship with you, with you Lord. God, I'm so thankful. As we begin to enter in holiday season, God, I'm so thankful that you are Emmanuel, that you are God with us. And we worship you and we honor you tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Christian Ministries Church. If this message impacted you and you'd like to sow into our ministry, you can give at cmchurch.com. If you'd like to listen to more of our messages, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Just search for Christian Ministries. God bless.